Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, my name is Miranda. I'm from South London, and you're listening to Dane Baptiste's Questions Everything. My question is, is a Jaffa cake a biscuit or a cake? Okay, here comes the show, and remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Dame Baptiste's Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dame Baptiste, my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer. Hello. And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked, and we are talking everything from... We are talking about everything from Miranda. From South London's question, is a Jaffa cake a biscuit or a cake? Dane, solve this one, please. It's, it's a good question. I'm not sure if this is, if this is my friend Miranda, a.k.a. Rim Dana. What's up, girl? Nothing but love for you. Um, just making sure I send a shout if I need to. And yeah, we do shouts on this podcast. I feel like the clue is in the name. Jaffa cake is a cake. And it's also because I think... Biscuit, the etymology of the word or its origins, I think it's French, which means uh, twice cooked. And that is the difference between a biscuit and a cake. That's why biscuits are normally harder. But that's the thing. The problem is that Americans fuck the whole thing up because they call biscuits cookies and then they call uh, chips they call crisps chips, yeah. and they call. Hey, if that's, uh, a, if, that's the, if only that was the only thing they fucked up. But anyway, I was gonna say yeah. Um, and in fact, in the, in the rule of three, they call racially biased suppression justice. So yeah, that's the yeah. issue. Well, listen, it's a good answer, Dane. I think it's good enough for our listener, Miranda. I'm sure she'll enjoy this. And suffice to say, on this podcast, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, mate? Absolutely. No question is too big, too small, or too spongy with a citrus filling. And if you do like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from and you'll never miss an episode where you can hear all of our very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests. And to get even more exclusive content, please check us out on Patreon to support the podcast where you can hear all of the uncensored questions being answered by our very special guests too. With that being said, on today's show is a former teacher and trailblazing broadcaster and author who is passionate about education and empowering young people. She has established herself as a broadcaster with recent credits, including The Truth About Cosmetic Treatments, Inside Chelsea, Britain's Wealthiest Borough, and her podcast, The Secret Life of Teachers. She has presented two documentaries, Islam, Women and Me, and Lost Boys, What's Going Wrong for Asian Men, and she's become a regular reporter on Sunday Morning Live, and is also a regular contributor to The One Show, as well as appearing in the uh, documentary series, Muslims Like Us. Please welcome to the show, Ms. Mehreen Bey. I really enjoyed that introduction, thank you. Oh, really? glad. Yeah, people do like the introductions, didn't they, Dane? They do. First of all, at this point, I'll just say great, great bio written by my producer friend, Howard Cohen, the Hizzer. Yeah. Um, and also, Mehreen, I hope I'm saying that right. Mm. It's a little bit French, but we'll take it. Uh, my, sur- <laughs> my surname's a little bit French, so that's where that accent's coming from. 
I appreciate the efforts. That's the best Japanese accent. I'm going to have to learn elocution lessons to to pronounce names. You know, no excuse in the twenty in the twenty first century. I don't want an AI doing my job, so I need to learn how to enunciate properly. Um, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because when on my very first um, doc series, so when I did Muslims Like Us, my thing was, and it was like trending on Twitter for a bit, was I introduced myself as I'm Marine, like a submarine. And me and my sister did it growing up all the time. She was Amberine, like a tambourine. And I was Marine, like a submarine, trying to make it easier for everyone, like anglicizing our names and trying to make it easier for everyone to pronounce. And it's literally over the last less than a couple of years where I thought I'm not doing it anymore my name's Mehreen and people need to try and say it right they do and I'm going to keep trying and like a toddler it's going to, I'm going to fall down and get back up and just keep on going well, at some point I'm going to fall and split my lip open but do you know what what doesn't kill you Mehreen makes you stronger that sounds like a terrible attempt that was you, hard you went too far you went too far the other way I think well you yeah. could just avoid my name altogether yeah like, fine, yeah what do you reckon, mate? Is, what do you reckon, don't, mate? Is, don't is, even say, keep my name out your fucking mouth, Dave. Yeah. Is what you just said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got a way around it. Uh, what do you reckon, mate? Is Jaffa cake a biscuit or a cake? Okay, so I really enjoyed Dane's answer, um, and I feel like I can't give any better arguments. So I'm going to go with it's a cake, though. In my head, a cake is like big. Mm. That's as, that's as smart as my analysis go. I thought cakes no, would be... You don't need... It's not crunchy. So I actually think it's neither. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but I am going to give it further thought. Right. I do well, love Jaffa cakes. Why can't it be both and be a biscuit cake? Why is that not even a thing yet? That's good. That's good. A biscuit cake should exist because, like, if you can have brunch and also the new meal I invented, which is Brinner which is having breakfast for dinner. So like, oh, you're yeah. like, or, or dessert. Basically, dessert is when you have a breakfast thing for dessert. So it might be like you've gone for a meal, but let's say you ate at like five o'clock, but you're home now, maybe you're marking some papers. And now you look up and you realize it's 11 p.m. and you're starving. But all you've got to eat is like a bowl of cornflakes. That's dessert. Interesting. I don't get it. Sorry. So <laughs> it's breakfast. Eat, it's it's at, instead of a dessert, which is normally follow a meal like dinner. Yeah, but at eleven p.m., you're not going to be having a dessert day, and I don't know what kind of diet you're following. But you don't spend enough time with comedians, mate. This honestly. is it. This yeah. is it. It doesn't, to, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be at eleven p.m., but it's basically if you have dinner or you go out for dinner, and then you have a meal that follows that dinner, and that would normally be dessert, right? Yeah. But then if you, I have, am not opposed to. I'm definitely not opposed to having cereal as like a snacky late thing. I've actually got a, a trick for you guys because I've, tr I've tried to cut out yogurt recently because uh, it's not that as good for you as people pretend. And um, uh, I uh, have it in a cup. I have a cup of cereal and it actually makes it a little bit less like, you know, a bowl. It's a lot of cereal, a bowl of cereal. Do you know what I mean? At night anyway. So just imagine... You just need to do some fucking washing up, Howard. But yeah, okay, fair point. Oh, just, just unload the dishwasher, Howard, and load the other stuff, yeah. please. Okay? okay. Well said, but mate. <laughs> do you know what? It's probably time for a question, as the format of this show dictates from, from time it, to time. It is time, but I still want to push the uh, Brazil agenda because I also feel like there are foodstuffs that are supposed to be breakfast things, like Howard mentioned with yogurt. Mm. And sometimes people have bowls of yogurt and then they're like, I'm having a yogurt bowl, but in that yogurt bowl, they've got like cherries. And they've got like yeah. chocolate chips. And I'm like, that's just dessert you're having for breakfast. Do you know what, man? Just do you. Just do you. 
I love curry. <laughs> I have it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right, right. So, I... in, in my <laughs> we, rather than splitting things like oh dessert, oh, it's like sometimes when we want to be fancy, we're like let's have English food today. And English food, <laughs> anything like noodles, not English. Um, it can be. Basically, any lasagna, let's have English food today. It's anything that's not curry. We will <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dad will say English dinner today, and that's like our special. <laughs> yeah. What are we having? Chinese takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, it could be like egg sandwiches. The other day, we had egg sandwiches, and it was like, oh my God, we're having egg sandwiches. And our neighbor came to eat with us, and she was like, oh no, I don't want any of that. Thank you. I have sandwiches all the time. And we're like, oh, for us, it was like, we've made sandwiches because <laughs> yeah. it wasn't curry. I, I I totally get it. My family were the same when it come, comes to like bank holidays, we'd get like pizza and you'd be like, oh my God, what an occasion. Mm. Like you wear special clothes, like the Met Gala and everything. Today I'm having a meat feast. Like the English do. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be wearing your best clothes eating a meat feast, mate, but that's another story for another time. That, let's, that's a different day. Let, <laughs> let, let's get to the time. let's go for the questions, Dane. Come on, you got we got we got the people demand the questions. This is true. Miss Bake, as our very esteemed guest, we'd like to invite you to ask the first question, which can be any question you'd like about any topic you'd like, which you'd like to discuss for about 15 minutes. And then my producer friend Howard will like to pose a question to you to discuss for about a quarter of an hour and then with the rule of three that we see in comedy i would like to ask you a question that we all discuss for 15 minutes and then we would love for you to tell our listeners and viewers where they can find out about your good works past present and future how does that sound sounds fantastic are you ready for my question absolutely what is one thing that you learn at school mm. or what is one thing that school taught you and, and just as, 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 a, as a segue, what inspired this question in you? Marie? Well, obviously, I used to be a teacher. Mm. Um, and before that, I was a student. And I come, from a, I come from a family of teachers, my brother, my sister, my brother's wife, my cousins, all of us. Even my mum has recently started um, teaching Oracle GCSE lessons. It's literally education is in our blood. So we often have these kind of conversations around the dinner table um, and one of the things that we were talking about recently was what did you actually learn at school? And I, you could literally tell me something ac like academic, something you actually learned, but maybe school taught you something bigger. Maybe school taught you something about yourself. What did you take away from school? I think it's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it's a really wow. good question. Um, I think if... Am I able to, in order to ask this, answer this question more comprehensively, can I break it up into the various phases of uh, education in academic, uh, academic institutions? Because I feel like there was a big uh, thing I learned in primary school, which is very different to what I learned in secondary school, very different to what I learned in university. Um, but they're all quite, uh, I think, significant uh, lessons or moment, teachable moments. Um, so for me, the thing I learned at primary school, I think I learned on my last day, was, and I'm trying to make sure I articulate it in the right way, was that you probably shouldn't take school too seriously. And not that it's like there's no relevance of education, but I think I was able to learn through happenstance that uh, school is a part of a system and that system is made up of normal people. And I say this in the same way that like 
I remember my my dad has never uh, been particularly vocal about what kind of occupation or vocation he wanted me to get into. But I do remember watching the Lethal Weapon film and being like, this looks kind of cool. And then I think I also saw Beverly Hills Cop. So I was like, cops look kind of cool. And I was like, I want to be a police officer. And he was like, shut the fuck up. And he has never, ever been that vocal about what he wants me to do with my life. But when I was that police officer, he was like, there's no fucking way my son is going to be a police officer. So, and I say that because I feel like I learned in primary school that education, like law enforcement, there's an idea that people have, there's a supposition that there it takes it takes a very particular type of individual to have these occupations. And I think for some people that go into these uh, institutions, the idea is that you want to be a particular type of person. Like I think a lot of teachers have a particular disposition and people that want to be educators. I also think that some people that want to be involved in like community support projects or law enforcement have an idea of what kind of person they want to be. But I think you learn that these are just systems and unfortunately you can sometimes uh, have the system change you rather than positively change the system. I say this because I basically learned in primary school that teachers are just people and people are capable of being corrupt. People are capable of having moments of weakness and people are capable of just being jealous. And I know that because on my last day of school, I think I had some outstanding work at my primary school tutor was called Miss Robbins. And she sent me to another teacher's class to mount some work on some sugar paper, which was like the style at the time, to just mount your work up before lamination and PDFs. And it was the last day of school, which I was quite, I guess I was quite happy about. More, I guess, because it's like, now school's done. It's summertime, summer holidays. Yeah. All right. But those, so, those were great days, man. When yeah, you, yeah, just the last day of school, you're like, now six weeks of pure bliss. And also, I'm never coming back to this primary school. So there was a sense of, I think, excitement for me, particularly because I was going to a school that no one from my primary school was going to. And I'd never heard of up until I had to find a secondary school. And I remember just basically saying bye to my school friends and stuff. And my, it was my actually my twin sister's uh, school t- primary school uh, form tutor was Miss Taylor. And she turned to me in front of the whole class and was like, what are you doing here? I'm so sick of you. You're not funny. You think you're funny, but no one's laughing with you. They're laughing at you. And I don't imagine you'll go very far in life. And I remember being like uh, 11 years old and knowing then this reaction is a lot deeper than me just coming into this class to mount some work on some sugar paper. No, this, big time. Yeah, yeah. And this feels particularly personal because I'm 11 and I don't even have pubic hair. And you are way too intimidated by a child of five foot five who is 11 years old lady. And I just remember being like, if I have the power as 11 years old to intimidate and anger an adult this much from not doing anything, then there's a lot of power in comedy. Yeah. I say that because, especially because she said, you're not funny, no one's laughing if they're laughing at you. And I was looking around being like, no, these people are laughing with me. Everyone's having a good time. And also, I have never professed to you in my entire life to be a joker or a jokester or a comedian ever. So the fact that you that's what you've gone for, I'm like, oh, okay. I know what this is really about. And so, yeah, I do guess I just learned then. Do you think that's what sparked your interest in going into comedy? Oh, definitely. I think I'd, I'd like kind of, you know, in primary school, they make kids do like skits and perform an assembly. 
And I think whenever I used to do it, it used to go really well. And I think I really enjoyed that aspect of having that freedom of expression because I think when you used to perform skits and stuff at school or in assembly, performing was the one time where a teacher had no uh, jurisdiction on you and wasn't able to curtail or police your tone in your expression. So I always enjoyed that aspect. But I don't recall ever having kind of any kind of satire where I'd be like, teachers are like this, but it's very clearly. And, and, and it might just be my experience through comedy since that now, I see a lot of people I work with in comedy who supplement their income by being teachers or supply teachers. Mm. And also with like the nature of the British comedy industry, we're having like a four week festival in Edinburgh. Most people do not have four weeks available in August other than teachers. So it occurs to me that in retrospect, Miss Taylor probably was an aspiring comedic actor or or she could have been a comedian herself and things weren't going great. And she She didn't have that tight 10. She didn't have that tight 10 minutes. Did you, Miss Taylor? Sounds like she didn't have a tight five, to be honest, the way she was going on. You know what? That serves her right. I think what's also really interesting, you've said lots of interesting things. Um, I mean, you were five at five at 11. I find that quite fascinating. (laughs) Was Was it? Actually, maybe it was much shorter than that, but... Wait, wait, how, how, tall, how tall are you? Five foot two. <laughs> we that, do like laughing at people's height on this show. Uh, we you? really do. But I feel like I was five. Basically, the growth spurt to 6'1 didn't happen until I was 17. So right. I was a very late developer. So I reckon I was probably pretty short. At, I'm probably 5'5 five, five at like in, at 11. Is that tall for 11-year-olds? That's tall for 11-year-olds. Oh, 11 then, take, a, take, a, take, a, take a couple inches off that because I wasn't... At, I was not definitely anywhere near the tallest in my school. Yeah. Until I was like, yeah, until I was 17. So that, I think just the fact that you remember and can describe that scene so vividly with that teacher, that encounter with that teacher, and the fact that that kind of played a small part even in sparking what you went on to do, I think it also shows the power you have as a teacher over young people and the fact that of course teachers are people and they're not all saints and they're not all great and they're not all but when you when you say something nice to a young person it can shape and mold how they see themselves for the rest of their lives and when you say something not nice to a young person and sometimes it could be as direct as what you what your teacher said to you which just sounds quite nasty and sometimes it can be a throwaway comment that you just you say you don't even think twice about, but the child remembers that forever. And again, you can you can crush a child's spirit with what you say. It does show you the impact that teachers have on young people. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's massive. It's massive. And I, I think understanding, having the context of understanding, there's no basis for this outburst was important to learn as well. And I, and I think it's like part of my narrative, I guess, as a social commentator in comedy is like always encouraging people to also be aware of that as well, because... People, because we tend to give over so much power to people in these institutions, whether it's like the healthcare industry, education, uh, like I said, uh, law enforcement, governance. I think it's not so much that I like uh, I'm an anarchist and destroy every single establishment, but it's the same as it was about having an awareness that you know you can't just give over your power because people are naturally impressionable, especially within these kind of systems. And I was, I always thought it's probably important that I let other people know that they can't have their lives defined or their self-image defined by these externalities. Because like you said, even if it's said flippantly and it's not uh, intentionally malicious, like it was with Miss Taylor, that can affect people's lives for years to come. So 
what what did you learn what's the one thing that you learned in secondary school then well, I should probably be like, Howard, what did you learn in primary school? Oh, well, what was your, what's your lesson first? I should, before well, I, I mean, I, the whole thing. I, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I think I learned this wasn't really for me. <laughs> yeah. uh, like my brain now in its job as a producer and developer of media content and cross comedy, documentaries, entertainment. You know, I do a load of different stuff, podcasts, obviously. Uh, it functions really well. Like I think, I think I'm probably quite, my brain's quite good at this, but at school, it was shit at pretty much everything they ever asked <laughs> me to do. I, and, and the idea that they put it into an exam uh, situation was a waste of absolutely everyone's time, including just the, the, the government's money that it cost to get them to look at my work. Like I was so not designed for it in any way, shape or form. And um, I find it awkward now talking to my nephews and nieces about their school. Uh, but I I find it really weird to kind of talk to my nephews and nieces about it because they ultimately, you know, are, are right to take it very seriously. I understand why kids take their school seriously. But, like, in my heart, I just want to tell them, ah, uh, it's not really going to matter, you know, because it didn't really matter to me. And I, I guess I'm in a minority in that sense, right? I think you're not a minority. I think there's, again, lots to unpick in what you said. I think it's a real shame um, and not everyone enjoys their school. In fact, I'd argue the majority of people probably don't enjoy their school experience, but I think that's down to lots of things. I think if you find one great teacher who instill self-belief in you who makes you enjoy a subject I mean when people say something is their favorite subject often it's not the subject that they love but it's the teacher who has made them love it yeah Um, so you've you've got people who hated maths in primary school came to secondary school and suddenly love maths it's not maths that changed it's the teacher who was delivering that information to you that made you love that subject so I think it's about having good teachers obviously is a much wider conversation to be had about how well teachers can perform and how much schools can um, serve their students and give them the individual love, nurture, support, care that they need in the in the system that we're in where they aren't funded properly. But that's a whole separate conversation too. And I think it's also when it comes to your nieces and nephews and sort of saying school doesn't really matter. I think on one hand, it's not the be all and end all. And you're right. It's not like if you're going to get an A star in maths, it's going to guarantee, or if you get a great degree, even it's going to guarantee that you're going to have a great quality of life and a great job because that isn't unfortunately how it works. But um, also not everyone's academic. And- well, that's, that's that's the biggest thing, right? Like I've got, a, I've got a nephew who is, who, who I think it does really work for. And he really did get, you know, it, it gave him what he needed in some respects. His sister is one of the most naturally artistic people I've ever met. She can, she learned to play piano by sitting at it, right? Like that's her paintings and her artwork is extraordinary. And, you know, hearing her, hearing her kind of worry about exams for something that I just, I know that her destiny in life is not to do the, yeah. do the thing that exams asking her to do, you know? Yeah. Agreed. And I think school should definitely, and it's a real shame that they are, we are, schools are not given the, again down to things like funding but they're not giving the support to we're we're slashing all the creative subjects we're not giving them 
we're not even allowing students to kind of explore that area. It's like you're either academic and you're good at maths or you're not, which is completely wrong. Even within the GCSE system, if you look at what the English GCSE has become, it's they've changed it. I mean, quite a few years ago, they changed it. So it was closed book. You have to memorize all the quotations. So now students have to memorize key quotes from 15 poems, a Shakespeare text, a 19th century novel. So are you even testing the kids on their English skills, their ability to analyze characters and storylines and and language, or is this a memory test? Because not every kid is good at memorizing, but they might be really good at English. Well, it just makes me think that, you know, we're just going to conjoin the questions today because I think they're all going to be education themed. And my question was going to just lead into kind of talking about the experience of being at a single sex school, which, you know, I would say being from a single sex secondary school, uh, you know, boys school, the the absolute <laughs> idea of being creative in the environment we were in, other than arguably on the football pitch, uh, <laughs> completely non-existent, completely non-existent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you look at that element of our education system, have they, have they dropped the amount of single sex schools? Is that lower than it used to be? Or uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the stats when it comes to single sex schools, but I went to two of them. So I went to... A an all girls school um, from well in year seven year eight and then I went to another all girls school in year nine ten and eleven um, and then when I was teaching I taught in an all boys school and an all girls school um, and I do I mean it's not the first time I've heard about um, people talking about the how difficult it is to be sort of allowed to be creative in an all boys school sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't know, I, I, I might be wrong. And again, you'll have to fact check me because I might be making it up. I think research proves that girls perform better in all girls settings um, and boys perform better in mixed settings. Right. But again, I might have made that up. So it's interesting. No, no, I've heard, I've, heard, I've heard the same thing as well. And I think, I mean... So far as part of the reason is that, I mean, there's the question of maturity anyway, that uh, the the feminine hemisphere of the brain, I think, matures quicker and also is open to, like, more creative thinking. And so it, uh, a lot of time women tend to have a lot more uh, profession in subjects a lot earlier. A lot of people have... Another theory that has been reported is that one of the reasons why men struggle, particularly amongst same-sex schools, is because the masculine hemisphere of the brain is obviously encouraging more uh, physical maturity uh, in terms of, like, testosterone output. And that kind of manifests that you get... That's why you get a high incidence of men having uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder because a lot of the time, as you are... The testosterone in your system, you want to be a lot more active and naturally want to be engaged in displays which lend to this uh, testosterone output, but obviously uh, institutionalized academia kind of prevents you from being able to do that because you have to sit in a classroom and listen to someone administer a curriculum to you and you've got to raise your hand before you speak and then you have to wait for the pips to go before you can go to another class. And a lot of this is a lot of very restrictive behavior for a human being anyway, where on top of being forced to conform to an idea and try to and being, I suppose, groomed into industry, you're also being taught how to concede to authority, um, which 
if that authority is not particularly sound or practicing integrity, can be very problematic, as I mentioned in the previous question as well, because, you know, I come from a community that is disproportionately overrepresented in expulsion rates, uh, even for the uh, same uh, classroom infractions as our non-Black and non-male counterparts. And that's part of the reason why, I reckon, is that when you are, I guess, growing into adulthood or adolescence and the changes that come with that, those are instantly uh, construed as aggression. And then you are removed from the uh, education system without an alternative. And that's also, I think, a problem, as Howard mentioned with his niece, is that, like, very clearly this person has a massive amount of creative potential. And because that potential is not in line with the conformist or, I suppose, quintessential idea of being a good student uh, or being scholarly, then you find yourself on the outside of this system again with no alternative, which is uh, seems to be the issue is that like, as I'm sure you've experienced, there are some kids who just can't function in school. The way school works just does not work for them. And they might flourish in another area, but the uh, system itself, so there is no alternative. And I think it's particularly insidious what you mentioned as well about uh, the fact that now kids are being taught to just memorize quotes without researching the meaning of the quotes or looking at the subtext of these quotes. And also uh, this emphasis on maths and this reduction in emphasis on the creative uh, and creative topics and investment in creative parts of the curriculum. And I think it's just because we live in a country now where uh, the ruling the ruling government or the ruling... Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Class right now is aware that uh, success within creative industries allows people of much more modest backgrounds to observe social mobility and if you are a working class person who comes, becomes a successful musician and or you become, you know, a successful producer or filmmaker or any kind of creative, then it normally means that you have the money and thus the uh, resources to for political assembly. And you'll probably have some of the same sensibilities you had when you were working class. And that's not something this government wants, because we also remember that during the pandemic, they were like, well, if you're creative, you're going to have to retrain and think of another job and get into another job. And we see so many of these jobs are jobs where these people are not being rewarded for their hard work anyway, whether it's nurses, teachers, rail workers, uh, doctors. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it must, be, it, it, it must be a fast. very difficult time. But yeah, it must be a very difficult time. I mean, what do what do you see out there? I mean, obviously, you still kind of have interaction with the the system. I think. Um, okay, I feel like the 
I've spent my entire adult life teaching. Um, I became a teacher straight out of university. I was 21. I started training. The school where I worked was the most wonderful place where I didn't even know schools could be like that. I worked with teachers who devoted every minute of when they were awake to supporting their students and not just academically, but that the students came to into that school building in the morning and they genuinely, they were told and they believed that they were the best students in the world. And it really instilled this like self-worth within the kids and this, this self-belief within the children. And we had this amazing rate of progress added that the kids went the level they came into school um, and the level that they, they, the grades that they got when they left, the progress was, was amazing. And it was a real testament to the teachers and how much teachers cared about not only the kids, but the community, the families they were working with. Um, they really were kind of, they were, we were parents to our children and parents would often phone teachers on, I mean, all the time, um, evenings, night times, holidays, and say, can you come over because we need help with this? And teachers would go and they would do that. We had teachers who would go and wake up students on the morning of their exam and get them out of bed and bring them to school in the morning. We had teachers who would go in and they would confiscate the PlayStation because the child wasn't listening to their mum. We had, um, you know, we've been there for funerals. We've been there for, we've been there at police stations. We've been there at, like, we, it's a real it takes a village to raise a child. The school, the families together would, were doing that. Um, and it makes me really sad when people talk about not enjoying the school experience. When I was at school, did I love, I did love school. I loved school when I was a student, but that, that's not necessarily because my teachers were particularly inspiring. It's not because the schools I went to were particularly great. I just enjoyed learning. I really enjoyed learning. If, if you People always say, have you seen something that everyone's seen? Home Alone or Superman? I haven't seen it because I would sit at home and I would just be working out of textbooks and I loved it. And at the end of it, my sister, who's eight years older than me, she's a teacher, she would mark the work that I had done and give me like level six at the end. And it was the best moment of my life. <laughs> so I just enjoyed it. You nerd. <laughs> I was such and that's a, And you know what? That's okay. Because you know what? I would, I, if I was to pick the kind of person I want to educate my child, I want it to be a nerd like you. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, what's your background like? I used to love doing tests. What for? Just love doing them. You fucking nerd. Mm. You're perfect. <laughs> you're hired. Yeah, yeah. You. You're. You're headmistress. You <laughs> absolute loser. What are you gonna be doing on the weekend? Making my child's life better. Perfect. Um. Yeah, but I think the current system that we are working under, and this is a part of why I left teaching, and a part of why I don't think I would return in a traditional school system is because the way schools and teachers are treated is appalling in this country. And I think part of that is because education is free, schools are free, and so we don't value it. I think people don't understand the work that goes in that teaching entails as a profession and what it actually requires of human beings and I think the fact that we and we don't understand young people you've got decisions being made about young people from state schools who by people who have never stepped foot in a state school so how can you possibly make the decisions that are gonna affect these young people when you have no idea about the lives they are living and about what they actually the support that they actually need um 
my decade in teaching correlated with a decade of austerity in Britain. And obviously that has got so much worse since I left. So when I was teaching, buying dinner, food, pizzas for our students from our own pockets was nothing unheard of. We would buy stationery for our students from our own pockets. I would buy, I would go out and do a big shop before the GCSEs and buy uh, students highlighters, pens, pencils, uh, maths kits, things that they would need from my own pocket. And that was very normal. Things Um, their parents could have been stealing from their offices, like real people do. Sorry, what? (laughs) No, I'm just saying that, like, you know, why don't more people steal stationery from the offices they work at? in order to give to school children, rob from the rich to give to the poor. It's just, um, another, it's just, my, it's just an agenda I'm pushing that like, it is seen as a given, as your God-given right to take pens and stationery from your office stationery cupboard. But now I know that people, that children are requiring teachers to buy them this stationery. There needs to be a drive for people to steal this stuff and give it to kids, maybe in a form of stationery banks. I think we shouldn't steal. Still's the wrong word. Appropriate. <laughs> Colonize? No, no, no. I think I think um, we should just fund schools better. I was going to get to that, but until I need, he's a really good teacher. This is a really. I, mean, I haven't watched a teacher deal with someone in that way for a while. But blimey, that was some good work. That was good. I don't think yeah. you even have coffee breath. That's how good that was. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um. I forgot where I was now. But anyway, I think um, we're failing students. And you're right. But I think we're also failing teachers or failing schools. And what people don't understand is when you have an anti-teacher agenda and you're saying teachers are lazy, six weeks holidays, six week holidays is all you hear. Um, and it's <laughs> who, who said, I, and I know this is said, and I'll, in fact, I'll cover that in my question, but this just so triggered when I hear it, people speak that way. Yeah. And it's, um, I wrote a whole book about it. That's how triggered I was during lockdown. I mean, during lockdown, people got a taste of what it was like teaching their own children and they hated it um, because they realized this Billy wasn't actually a genius or an angel. Imagine teaching 32 of those. You're standing in front of 32 teenagers, trying to make them enjoy learning, trying to inspire them, trying to make them make academic progress and understand what you're teaching them. You do that six hours a day. That is, when am I planning those lessons that I'm teaching? I'm doing that in my spare time. It's the, it's the only job in the world where there's the most amount of almost overtime and you don't get paid for it. It doesn't count for anything. When am I marking the work? Marking is not, I per hour, if a child writes two pages or even one page, that is 32 or 64 new pages to mark per hour that by the end of the day, I have to try and mark and return it's just not realistic it'll never happen that's not including assessments that's not including homework that's not including all the other meetings and everything else organizing school trips and the lovely stuff that you would like to do and that's not including the fact that you are dealing not with robots but with real human beings who come to into that building into that classroom with their own issues with their own lives their own stories their own baggage that you have their own emotions that you also have to deal with i have been called during break time to be told that one of my students has been hit by a bus on his way to school and has died and the bell has rung and I've had to stand in front of the class five minutes later and try and teach 32 kids who are looking to me to be the only stability often that they have in their lives and the only kind of presence that is there and that is going to support them. It is we had teachers who we used to have a police station. We used to have our own designated police officers in our in our school. 
And during my time at that school, because of all the funding cuts, we couldn't afford to have it. We had to share our police officer with three other schools. So we had him um, about one to two days a week. So then it became the duty of teachers to go and patrol the high road and the bus stops to make sure that there were no incidents, no fights or nothing happening in the park and on the high road. When you sign up and train to teach, you think you're going to be teaching kids to love Shakespeare. You don't think that you're going to be patrolling the high road and playing security or police officer during that time. People have no idea what teaching actually entails and what a difficult job it is. And they, you hear all this rhetoric, you hear like teachers are lazy I forgot where I was going with. Why were we talking about this? No, it's fine. Well, well do you know what? Because it, 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 it just this 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 really segues into what Dame was going to ask you about. To, you know, which is 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 where the future is is going for a country like this, right, Dame? Like that was going to be. Yeah, your... I'm sorry, that's what I was saying. We're failing young people because all, all these people who say teachers are lazy, so on and so forth. What they don't realize is if you don't give teachers the value and the respect that they deserve, if you don't improve their working conditions and if you don't make them want to come and teach your child because they've got nothing left to give, if you aren't funding schools properly so they don't have proper resources and proper facilities and class sizes are getting bigger, what ends up happening? Who suffers? The child. So it's your child who's going to end up suffering. It's your child that can't get, can't study the subjects that they want to. It's your child that can't get the emotional support, personal support that they need. It's your child who isn't given the individual, who will fall between the gaps because they aren't get, they can't be given the individual support that they need. So your the children are suffering and are being failed by the education system. And in a few years time is those children who are going to become adults and they are going to, and therefore society will suffer. And you will have a group of people who hated school, are poorly educated, weren't emotionally supported, their mental health is fucked. And that's the world we're going to be living in. So it's great to shout six weeks holidays. It's great to shout teachers are lazy, but all you're ultimately doing is Proving you're a fucking cunt. That's what you prove. That you're fucking scum. And if you don't understand that, then why are you even alive? That's how I feel. You're a waste of time. Your family are a waste of time. And very clearly, you failed in school as well, which is why you are not able to pass on the value of education to your children. Not academia, mind you, because the idea that you're child's education should just be tasked with people that you consider to be complete strangers that only function efficiently based on a wage or a salary, but education in general. See, the thing about school is that even if you didn't enjoy school, because I didn't necessarily enjoy school, but what I do understand is that the education that you receive from schooling is not just rooted in academia, because for a lot of people, as you are making the transition from childhood into adulthood and discovering things like autonomy and discovering things like independence, you're also doing that while socialising as part of a social species. And that is what school offers. And it's very ironic that a lot of these people that have all of these negative comments about teachers are fuckers who are just angry because school is over for them. And that was the zenith point of their fucking lives. That was the high point of their lives where they had the minimum amount of responsibility with the maximum amount of autonomy. And that would be their point in their adolescence. And a lot of these people are the people who are responsible for making social media, for example, where you get a lot of these platitudes being expressed, the high school, global high school that it is today. And you, what you find is that there are a lot of people who are perpetual adolescents 
who will never grow out of it. And it's ironic because a lot of these people are the people who say that nurses are greedy and that teachers get six weeks off. And people who have this idea that because people receive some sort of wage, they're able to do their occupation as if they are predestined to do it by birth based on normative determinism without ever questioning anything and can just do it without, as you said, even being able to experience any form of humanity while they're doing their job. And they do this knowing that we had a prime minister who doesn't even have to use a fucking condom, but is able to run a country. So I just, I just feel listening to what we've heard Maureen talk about, I I, I just couldn't ever, I, I, I wouldn't know what to say to someone who supported the governments that have permitted this to occur. Like, I, I, I feel like you... you, you you must be so out of that world to ever, and or, or or have just been tricked. You know, in some cases, it's worth pointing out. You know, people who whose lives may be very difficult have been tricked to believe they should vote for this thing by a distraction tactic, like well, what Brexit was for a lot of people. You know, and and I think the absolute, like, you know, we you know. I was a lot more diplomatic about it than I am. Well, no, I know that they're uh, fucking human scum. Do you know what, Dave? You don't want, you, you don't want drag queens reading to your children, but you don't want to be able to pay teachers to do it as well. So what do you fucking want then? I was but actually going to do... And misspell stuff on social media accounts. But Dave, so you're I... either a fucking scumbag or you're a Russian spy. Because there could be no other alternative to be this dumb. I was actually going to go off in the same vein, Dave, but you did it, so I didn't need to. Uh, like, but I was thinking, like, fuck these people. Like, genuinely, this is a fucking disgrace, and 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 it is. It's embarrassing. It's like an embarrassment to think that this is how the world. You know, the way you've you've portrayed the future uh, and and what what the, what is going to occur and how the pandemic was handled and how bad an impact that must have had. I, I think about all those people who must be leaving teaching. There must be so many, Marie. There's a national teacher shortage. It's a crisis. Good. Teachers good. leave it. But it's not good, Dane, because it's the children who are suffering. There are people who are joined the... Well, you know what? Some children need to see who the fuck their parents are. And then we can have a, lar- a much larger conversation about this shit. who their parents are. No, you can't blame them. You can't. But unfortunately, these children also need to see who their parents are. Children shouldn't suffer... And their future shouldn't be in jeopardy because they are born to shit parents, and they and mm. or they are the fact that and also not that you can't blame society because you absolutely can, but when you've got messages from the tops saying doesn't matter if teachers are leaving, we're going to get unqualified teachers to go into school and do it. It's a complete um, disrespect to teachers and the fact that you have to. It's a prof- profession you have to qualify. You can be. You can't just get anyone to step in and like you're not even qualified and just go and teach kids. It doesn't work like that. Um, But when you've got things like that being said at the top, that filters down to society's attitudes towards young. And also people, this is a very, this is something that got lots of people very angry with me um, just before my book came out when I was having lots of Twitter spats. But people often see schools and teachers as just free babysitters because people don't want to yes, look at do. children. That's exactly it. Not that, but but there's a limit to the way they do it makes it even worse is that they see you as free babysitters. But then if you say, based as in my capacity as a babysitter, here might be some of the developmental problems that are wrong with your child. And they'll go, it's my fucking child. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me how to raise my child. Marine, you can be nice. I say, fuck you and take your child and educate them your fucking self. And this is, I, this is what I think the problem is. You're absolutely right. 
that you have a complete lack and complete absence of morals that comes all the way from the top down where you've got people in positions of power telling children that two and two equals five and that upside upside down is the right way up and black is white and goes so far as to saying work hard, work hard when any child who is capable of critical thought or just has eyes that work can see based on even the government alone that we have that working hard ain't going to get you that fucking far. I wish I never got to really cover in what I learned from school. Because, well, unfortunately, the most profound lesson I've learned most recently since leaving higher education is it's not what you know, it's who you know. And nepotism and capitalism are two enemies of meritocracy that have ensured that whether it's from government or in teaching, due to the circumstances of exploitation of workforces and capital gain, you are never going to get the best people for the job in society. Because even when people are educated or want to be able to do their job properly, they are hamstrung by this government's policies. Even if they want to educate children, they're hamstrung. And then you have people who are fucking idiots, who are descended from people with toothless, mud-fucking-smeared faces who used to watch people getting executed. These fucking scraggly online peasants who really have the nerve to be like, teachers have got it good because they've got a fucking holiday. You don't fucking work. So what the fuck do you know about how holidays fucking work? You fucking tramps. Like, this is my, it's my question, but it's also in rhetorics that it's like, how far have we sunk as a society when you do not understand the importance of people that teach our children how to fucking read and write and how to add up? How, how far have we fallen where you don't understand even if these teachers accept the conditions that are being forced upon them, how do you expect somebody who hasn't had a lot of sleep because they're marking papers or has to go to a food bank because they can't afford to feed themselves or is stressed or dealing with chronic stress because they are not able to afford their rent? How well do you expect that person to do their job? In the same way that when you go watch your fucking local football team, you fucking Twitter scum. If you've got a football player you enjoy and then you go out drinking every night and they sniff coke, and they have lots of lots of unprotected sex with various sex workers of various description, how well do you think they're going to play up front? And if you don't want to understand that logic, school was never for you. And you need to be doing what you was doing before, smearing your faces in mud and watching public executions because you're fucking scum. And I'm tired of always having to tiptoe around these people's fucking egos because you're stupid and you're ruining the fucking society. And also, not only that, you are destroying something and giving your children less than you even had yourself. And as far as I'm concerned, I completely agree. You cannot blame children for having shit parents. But you know something we do have to acknowledge? Shit parents and people who just need to be honest with themselves. You don't love your children. You see them as a possession. And that is on the basis that whether it's school, whether it's healthcare, whether it's law enforcement or government, you are happy to give over control so you don't have to take responsibility for your own children. And maybe the reason for that is because you're so overworked your fucking selves on the treadmill of trying to keep up with the current cost of living crisis that began with austerity, as you said, that you don't even have the mental capacity to even take a look into your children's lives and you've given that over or delegated that to people who even their well-being you can't be bothered to fucking scrutinise. I think that's... Um the best case scenario. I think the best case scenario is you've got people who are handing over their children because I've seen parents who've said on various like days off or if it's a, um, what, what was it that oh, this one particular incident runs, um, comes to mind? Oh yes, the child was 
excluded and a parent sent the child to school and said, I'm leaving him here because I'm not having him at home because I can't cope with him at home. So I'm leaving him here. Like do what you will. The child's not staying home. Um, but often on any days off, parents are just sending their kids in. And the best case scenario is what you described when it's because a, a parent is so overworked themselves and they're trying to cope with the cost of living crisis and they they just need they need support essentially then, don't they? Because they they can't organize child Because care. they're children themselves. That's how they, they are children themselves. They are overworked. Do you know what yeah. I mean? That's the best case scenario, Dane, because the worst case scenario is I can't cope with it myself because I've got to think of myself too and I've got to go to yoga yeah. class. So look after my child. No, in the pandemic, my brother's disabled and my brother has nearly no immune system. When COVID first hit and schools were shut down and no one really knew what COVID was, you know, we didn't know if it was in the air outside, could you go for a walk? Like it was a really frightening thing. Um, there was all this chat about the fact that school should reopen because people don't want to look after their children and teachers should go in and should swab the children's throats as they are coming into school to see if they are they've got COVID or not, and then go and teach in poorly ventilated classrooms with thirty two kids in with you. So we are now telling people that they should be telling teachers they should be swabbing possibly infected throats. And for us, that was a terrifying time because <laughs> especially especially when they you're like what like nurses, the people that you're not even giving PPE to. You're talking about them kind of swabs. Even the people that are trained to and tasked with administering healthcare to people who may have contracted COVID. You're not even giving them the tools. So why are teachers going to feel like they can do the job or swab kids' mouths? Even the people paid to swab people's mouths haven't got the equipment they need. Yeah, and everyone said they all free mixed at Christmas and then they said, oh, why do teachers not want to go back? Lazy, six weeks holidays, why do they want to go back? We and how can't... many teachers were at home and were like, found yeah, every... new jobs? Yeah, but suddenly everyone's like a, a, a an education expert. Suddenly these parents who wouldn't care about taking their child out two weeks early if they got a cheaper holiday out of it suddenly who do, parents who don't care about handing their child an ipad because they don't they don't want to sit down and read with their child suddenly they're like my child's missing out on key education you don't care you don't want to look after your child and so you want teachers who have their own like i say my brother's disabled they've got their own issues their own families their own things that they're dealing with but you're like just hand it over to them it's their job it's a complete and utter disrespect this the way teachers, schools, the education system and children, young people ultimately are treated in this country is disgusting. Uh, We have run out of time today in this episode, but I mean, it's been an education... But it's what I was going to say. So what I was was going to say is, listen, Mary, come back on the show. I might actually try and time it so that maybe something's going on that's kind of topical in this subject so we can kind of use that as a jumping off point but i imagine for listeners and uh, and for me and dave it's an education in education talking to you uh it's been a brilliant episode although frustrating for all of us to to have to talk about what we talked about yeah i mean we've had everything from pubic hair to the c word i mean there's been lots of stuff thrown out uh, during the episode it's been quite i never anticipated that when i thought i'd be talking about education but i've enjoyed it People need to educate themselves about who the fuck they really are. Is how I feel. And uh, yeah, I definitely feel like we've only scratched the surface. And uh, it's always a pleasure, Maureen. Thank you very much uh, for coming on the show. Um, and just, yeah, just um, just let let your fellow teachers know that we at Dame Baptiste Questions Everything are in full solidarity with uh, teachers and as well as their industry. And uh, we stand alongside you. Um, but, you know, me, I also support the fact that if these people are not prepared to uh, acknowledge your contribution to society, then fuck them and fuck
Fuck them entirely. Anyway, positivity. <laughs> where where can our listeners and viewers find out about your great works, past, present, and future? I'll tell you what I'm the most proud of, and I really hope that the word gets out there as much as possible. Um, I post pandemic, so I still volunteer in schools and tuition centres at the weekends and evenings. Um, and I realised a couple of months ago that obviously because of the pandemic. A lot of students, for example, where I taught, didn't even have access to a laptop, whereas a lot of private schools, um, like where my best friend teaches, for example, they were still getting online lessons when schools were shut with their classroom teachers, according to normal timetables. There are a lot of children around the country who missed out on key bits of their education. And actually, the cohort that are sitting their GCSEs from next week, that is the cohort who spent two years of two of the most important years of their education, learning online. Um, so a couple of months ago, I was in a tuition centre and I said, oh, we're going to look at this poem. What's it about? Not even a, like, it wasn't an analysis question. It was just, what's this poem about? And they didn't know. And I said, you're about to sit your exam in this in two months time. How do you not know what the poem's about? And they said, miss, we did poetry online in year 10. So we actually don't know any of the poems. Um, and I decided to make this series called Glow Up Your Grades. Um, and it's basically, I, it's a 48 part series, um, that teaches you everything you need to know to pass your English GCSC. So it takes you through poetry, unseen poetry, Shakespeare. Um, yeah. And spectacles, like creative writing, transactional writing. It takes mm. you through everything that you need to know in order to pass it. If you missed out on key chunks of your, of the curriculum, if you don't know where to even begin revising, if you yeah, if you feel stuck, it's me teaching. I wrote it all myself. I planned it all myself. I delivered it all myself. It's how I would have taught my students. And I'm really, really, really proud of it. And I hope everyone can find it. Parents can find it. Teachers can find it. Young people can find it and use it to hopefully help their GCSEs. We'll be posted about that when we release this episode, Maureen. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I can say uh, myself and Dane and our listeners, respect what you do yeah you know, absolutely you know what I mean like doesn't get said enough the respect is directly inversely proportional to the absolute disdain I have for anybody who questions the validity and uh, a sacrifice and humility of your profession so we are uh, in awe and inspired by your work here on DBQE and we really want to thank you for coming on the show thanks for having me guys it's been an utter pleasure genuinely You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste and myself, Howard Cohen. For more from Dane and myself, make sure you follow us on Instagram at DaneSnapTiste and at the Howard Cohen. You can now support us on Patreon. Just search DBQE Podcast and unlock ad-free content and you can watch the full-length video of the podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for Dane, make sure you send us a DM on Instagram at DBQE Podcast and we could feature you in our next episode. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.